0: One day, making tracks, in the prairie of Prax, came a north-going Zach and a south-going Zach, and it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped. There they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zach, I say. You're blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zach, and I always go north. Get out of my way now and let me go forth. "'Who's in whose way?' snapped the south-going Zach. "'I always go south, making my south-going tracks. "'So you're in my way, and I ask you to move, "'and let me go south in my south-going groove.' "'Then the north-going Zach puffed his chest up with pride. "'I never,' he said, "'take a step to one side, "'and I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways "'if I have to keep standing here 59 days.' And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zach, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years. For I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in south-going school. Never budge, that's my rule, never budge in the least. Not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging, I can and I will, if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years the new highway came through and they built it right over those two stubborn Zacks and left them there standing unbudged in their tracks. This is a story from the book The Sneeches and Other Stories featuring the Zack from Dr. Seuss. Now the Zacks are stubborn and arguable and when you see the images of the Zacks, if you look one up, they've got messy hair and they have hairy bodies. And they live in the prairie of Prax. And in the story, we have a north-going Zack and we have a south-going Zach. And what happened? The two Zacks met, but they wouldn't budge. You could say that those Zacks were quite stubborn. Why are we so stubborn? Why do we dig in our heels at times like the Zach's and refuse to budge? Let me ask you this. Is it helpful? Was it helpful in the story? You know, with everybody yelling at time to time, I'm not going to budge and you're not going to budge. Everyone can't be right. It's a mystery. We don't progress by standing still, stewing in our stubbornness. Perhaps some of us think we do. Well, you know what? It could be because we are just so vain. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm curious. I'm trying to be a compassionate leader who is the creator of the Stephen Thompson Experience, a podcast for leaders and followers, hopeful optimists, careful pragmatists, bold asserters, people who want to bend the arc of the universe towards justice. My goal is to use this platform to educate, inform, and inspire individuals to use their gifts and talents in the service of others. Your Sylvain is a song written in 1971 by Carly Simon and she released this song in 1972. It's one of the songs that she is most identified with when you think of Carly Simon you think of your Sylvain and this song when released reached number one not just in the United States but also in Canada, Australia and even New, Zing- New Zealand and considered Number 92, on the greatest songs of all time. Now, throughout the years, there's been much speculation over who Carly was singing about. So much speculation, in fact, that in 2003, Carly decided to auction off the songs subject to the highest bidder at Martha's Vineyard. Now, she said there were three men that she was singing about in this song. And one of them was Warren Beatty, which she admitted years later. Now, the $50,000 bid was sold to Dick Ebersall, president of NBC Sports. And he won the right to know the name. But, there's a but, he could not reveal who it was. But she let him divulge a clue about the person's name. Carly did say that the song was a profile of a self-absorbed lover, who Simon says is just vain. And she even says that this person is so vain that the person probably thinks the song is even about him. Now, in 2015, she did say, when she was promoting her memoir, that the second verse in the song was indeed about Warren Beatty, but that's the only verse she says he's subject to. There's two other unnamed men who we don't know. Dick Ebersaw, who paid 50 grand, knows the rest of us don't. So could we say that this is stubborn? Are we vain? Is she vain? I don't know. But you know what? There is a point to sometimes... The stubborn behavior of others, perhaps it can lead to innovative behaviors if you choose to pivot. The stubborn behavior of others can open up a possibility for you to pivot. Here's an example. John Barry Meacham was a businessman and founder of the oldest black church in Missouri. He also was a pioneer for education of African-Americans, enslaved people in the state. He was born a slave in 1789 in the month of May. His owner at the time, Paul Meacham, took him to North Carolina and then to Kentucky. And at that time, he learned a couple of different trades. He learned carpentry and he met his future wife. And then by the time he was 21, he actually earned enough money from Being a carpenter, he was able to purchase his freedom. And then he could free his father. So in 1815, he made enough money to move to St. Louis. When he got to St. Louis, he met a Baptist missionary who had just moved there and started a church and an educational center for Native Americans. And Peck saw another need he wanted a place for African-Americans to worship and he asked Meacham to help them. So Meacham and Peck worked together and they built a church while Meacham also continued to be a carpenter. Later in 1825, Meacham became a minister and he opened the first African-American Baptist church. And through that church, he began to work together with Peck still And they offered religious and regular education to free blacks and enslaved blacks in St. Louis. His school attracted 300 students at first. It didn't charge any tuition. Now, at first, the white population of Missouri supported this schooling. Because they figured, hey, if they go to school, it would strengthen Christianity. But then racial tensions started to boil over. And they began to see the educated Blacks as a threat to slavery. So then what happened? Well, St. Louis passed a law banning the education of free Blacks. Now, they didn't enforce this all the time, but the police did force Meacham to disband and close his school. But that wasn't the end of the story. In 1847, Meacham pivoted. He responded by putting together a steamboat. And on this steamboat, He created a library. He put some desks on it, some cheers, and he opened up what he called the Floating Freedom School. And the Floating Freedom School rolled up and down the Mississippi River out of reach of the Missouri officials. Pivoting, other people's stubbornness, stubborn behavior, fearful behavior. We can't educate black people. So let's ban education, stubborn. Were they right? No, but there was a pivot. Why do people get stubborn and refuse to change their minds or dig their heels into unpopular and almost even hurtful positions? Well, Mel Swartz says that in a shift of mind, he says, Usually, people who are stubborn tend to want to be perfect, but it's hiding a sense of inadequacy. He says this, people who want to be perfect usually have an exaggerated sense of their own shortcomings. They typically receive messages early in life that they weren't good enough, so they decided that only by being perfect would they be beyond reproach perfectionists tend to think that other people are somehow better or superior to them, so they need to be without flaw just to catch up. This is a terrible and damaging myth. What else makes a person stubborn? Well, Hannah Parvez said in the book, Psych Mechanics, that the forces that shape the human psyche, stubborn people, are rigidly attached to their their beliefs, their opinions, their ideas, and their taste. A stubborn person can't stand anyone disagreeing with them because disagreeing with them means disagreeing with who they are. And then they become so stubborn, they don't even consider the opinion of others because they feel threatened by people who disagree with them. Hmm. So this kind of stubbornness, type of pain avoidance, she goes on to say, it it can stop you from growing. It can damage your relationships. And you can also get to a point where you completely avoid people who don't agree with you, just so you can live in a world of your own opinions and your own ideas. So what is an answer to this? Because you see here, if you just ground yourself in your own opinion and you won't budge, you end up like the two Zacks. What kind of progress that those two Zacks had? They had none. But here's an answer. Self-reflection. Charlotte Willis says this. Self-reflection is the practice of looking inward. At one's thoughts, behaviors, performance, and the emotions in order to grow and progress within ourselves. She goes on to say it's something we all too often take as a luxurious consequence of an extended holiday. But you know what? It's a task which we brush to the bottom of our to-do list, do today, reflect tomorrow, and we keep on going right now to the detriment of our own personal and professional lives. So we need to consider self-reflection. Here's some signs. We're all stubborn. I'm stubborn. I can admit that I'm stubborn. Here's what Muriel magnan Wilcom says. Ideas, you're too stubborn. Some signs. You keep an idea or a plan and insist on making your point, even when you know you're wrong. Second, you do something you want to do, even if no one else wants to do it. Three, when others present an idea, you tend to point out all the reasons it won't work. Next, you feel you visibly feel anger, frustration, and impatience when others try to persuade you of something you don't agree with, and you agree to commit half-heartedly to others' requests when you know all along that you're going to do something entirely different. Ooh, I do that. I do that all the time mentally. So I am a stubborn person, but I can't be stubborn because if I stay in stubbornness, then I end up a Zach and I do nothing. So goes on further. Well, how do you get off of this stubbornness? Well, here are some things. Seek to understand. Be open to possibilities. Admit when you're wrong. Practice being wrong. Let someone else win. What if there is a better way? What if another person's point of view leads to better outcomes? Decide what you can live with. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 15. A stubborn fool considers his own way the right one, but a person who listens to advice is wise. When a stubborn fool is irritated, he shows it immediately, but a sensible person hides the insult. Admitting you're wrong doesn't mean that you lose who you are or the ability to make the change you desire. It means that perhaps you go and play on another stage or on another field. There is room for all of our gifts. Don't be so vain. The song isn't about you or us. The song is about serving others, making gifts and sharing them with the world. And that is something all of us can do. Don't be a Zach. This is Stephen Thompson, and this has been my experience. And my goal today is to educate, inform, and inspire. And I hope that I have moved a bit in that direction. But if I offended or upset or triggered you, I apologize. It is never my intent. If you are facing any sort of loss or tragedy, I pray for you to have comfort and the support you need to help you face them. If you're happy, take time to be thankful for what you have. And remember those who are battling right now. Feel free to reach out to me through the comments. Leave an email address if you like the dialogue. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. Until next time, have a wonderful week. This is Stephen Thompson, and this has been my experience.